Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We've been looking at the Apostle Paul's uh, teaching in the city of Athens, and last time we surveyed the city of Athens and talked a little bit about the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that Paul was conversing with in the marketplace uh, as he was sharing the gospel with those in the city of Athens. And today, we are going to take a look at the beginning of Paul's sermon to the Areopagus at the city of Athens. So we're going to start reading in verse 19 with the response of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, uh, Acts 17, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things are. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives himself to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Now we'll stop our reading there and continue on in our discussion of this great address. So Paul in verse 19 is going to be brought before the Areopagus. Now, the term Areopagus referred not only to the rocky area that was west of the Acropolis, but also to the council that met and acted as governing officials for the city of Athens. There is something of a question as to whether they were meeting in the Agora, in the marketplace area, or on the Areopagus itself, which translated means uh, Mars Hill by this time. But the text seems to indicate a location that's away from the marketplace because he is taken and brought to uh, another location. Most likely they're meeting perhaps at the base of Mars Hill to convene their city council meeting. Now, their request of Paul is given in verses 19 through 21. They give him audience to hear the new teaching that he would bring before them. Uh, remember, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers have 
Some of them have turned, termed him a babbler, uh, meaning that his words were uh, nothing. He was just kind of walking around like a sparrow, picking up bits and pieces of different philosophies here and there and trying to make something new. Uh, but others genuinely thought there was something to it. Maybe he was proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's talking a lot about resurrection, and they get confused thinking that maybe resurrection is some kind of actual deity that Paul is worshiping. Luke says here that the Athenians used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. You know, this seems to reflect some of our uh, media sources today as well. Uh, they have a, a lack of really wanting to present anything um, truthful or definitive, but everything needs to be new and exciting and enticing. You know, the gospel is good news, but it is not necessarily new news. God's truth is timeless and unchanging. And the truth that we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been the same from its inception, from the time of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What people have put their faith and trust in in order to follow Jesus over the past 20 centuries has not changed. The good news continues to be the same as it has throughout the history of the church. And so in verses 22 and following, Paul is going to address now that council, the Areopagus council, and in it he is evangelizing to the Gentiles. And really this is a group of people whose worldview is entirely different from his own. So how is he going to proclaim the gospel in a setting where there is not a lot of similarity in the philosophies or the worldviews that are being presented? Well, in verses 22 and 23, he begins by trying to find some common ground with these individuals. In other words, we could ask ourselves the question, as we want to share the gospel with those who hold a different worldview from us, what are the truths that we can both agree on? Is there common ground that we can start on? He uses the phrase, I observe you are a very religious people in all respects to get things going. Now, this phrase could be used both positively, uh, you are very religious in the sense of you're very pious uh, you have the desire to be uh, religious, spiritual, or negatively, it could be used as you're very superstitious. Now, at the beginning of the speech, I doubt Paul would want to overtly offend his audience, so he's probably buttering them up a little bit here, though he might well have chuckled to himself as he said this, knowing uh, that there was a, an irony with what he was saying. They think that they're very religious, but in reality, uh, they're rather superstitious. Maybe they're a little too uh, spiritual, but not in the right sense of that phrase. The altar to the unknown God that Paul refers to, as he says, I've observed that there is this uh, statue or this altar, this image dedicated to the unknown God. 
Now, there's been archaeological evidence for just such an altar, uh, but not from the city of Athens specifically. This, this altar came from the city of Pergamum in Asia Minor, discovered in 1909 at the sacred precinct of Demeter, and it had a partially deteriorated inscription reading, To Unknown Gods. Other Greek and Roman writers of the first several centuries AD recorded similar inscriptions. And so what we probably have here is evidence that uh, in being so concerned about the Greek world and the various deities that they were worshiping, they would want to make sure the Athenians and others in the Greek world that they did not unnecessarily offend some kind of deity that had been overlooked. And so they would make these altars to an unknown god, to unknown deities, and Paul uses their belief in many gods to show that there was a god already present in Athens that they didn't know about. And he was not preaching, therefore, foreign gods. He's not pre preaching anything that's not already in existence in the city of Athens. He was simply seeking to make them aware where they were at present uh, unknowing or agnostic about this particular deity. Now, Paul sought common ground with his audience as a starting place or springboard from which he could launch into a discussion of what the one true God was like. Had he used the Jewish scriptures as his basis or his starting point here, he may have been dismissed before ever having a chance to speak. So he very, very carefully selects his argumentation in order to be able to have a conversation with these individuals. Now in verses 24 and following, we find Paul subverting and even correcting the Athenians' secular beliefs here. Paul first says that this God, the unknown God, that the Athenians were worshiping in ignorance, uh, that they were unaware of, was actually the God who created the entire world, the heavens and the earth. His initial point is that the one God that they are unaware of, they're agnostic about, they're ignorant of, is actually the highest and only true deity. Paul then addresses three misconceptions in the following verses. The first misconception is in verse 24, and it's that God can reside within a temple made by human hands. Uh, Eckhard Schnabel, one of the commentators on the book of Acts, says here, the point of contact with the Stoic philosophers was their conviction that the gods do not live in temples that human beings have built. The Epicureans rejected what they had called the superstitions of their contemporaries. They spoke of the philosophical effects of false faith in deities, mocking the demeaning practices in the cults that one could observe in the temples. So Paul masterfully found points of agreement with some of the Athenians in his audience while simultaneously not wavering in his commitment to the truth contained in Jesus Christ. 
This statement would have spoken out strongly against the idolatry prevalent in the city of Athens. Now, in verse 25, Paul says that God cannot be served by human hands. F.F. Uh, Bruce has said of this verse, Here may be discerned approximations to the Epicurean doctrine that God needs nothing from human beings and to the Stoic belief that he is the source of all life. So we see in that statement, Paul continued to draw points of commonality with his audience while presenting the truth of God in Christ. Notice the biblical truths that Paul clearly and cleverly interjects here. In verse 24, God has created the world and is sovereign over it. In verse 25, God is transcendent above humanity. He's not in need of humanity in any way. Also in verse 25, God is the source of life and sustainer of life. Verse 26, God is sovereign over human history and over human governments. And in verse 27, God desires relationship with humanity. And although he is transcendent, at the same time, he is imminent within his creation. Now I'm going to read verses 27 and following quickly. Uh, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like silver or gold or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. On groping after God, the statement that Paul uses in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps grope their way toward him, find their way, feel their way toward him, this should not be used as evidence that unregenerate people can somehow feel their way toward and find God, but that in spite of our inability to find God on our own, he is not far from any of us. This same word is used in Genesis 27 for Isaac feeling for Jacob and for Samson feeling for the pillars of the house containing the Philistine leaders. So as much as we want to seek after God and he is easy to be found in some ways, we are not able to come to him without the work of the Holy Spirit uh, convicting us in our hearts and in our lives. Now, next time, we will continue and finish off this uh, great sermon as Paul is speaking to the Athenians at the Areopagus. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partners.